Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is joining me for the third time, only the second third time uh, interview, but I'm so passionate about mental health, where our country is in the world of mental health. So joining me today from Tennessee Neurofeedback, KK Ray. How are you, KK? I am great and so good to be here, Virgil. I can't believe this is our third time, but that is true. It is true, and I have such a deep passion for the mental wellness and the understanding of mental illness two completely different topics most people get really confused yeah and we are, we're in an epidemic uh, and it's it's so overwhelming that i almost feel like it's so overwhelming that if you're not in a, a in a specialized field like you are you, most people don't even know where to turn it's so overwhelming right now right what what are you seeing and what are some of the things that as as a practitioner and a running a business that's taking care of the mind, yeah. What what's going on and what can we do to be aware of where people are? Well, I think yeah, that is amazing. Um, a question of itself. I think for the here and now in this moment, I would say for the last two years, I've said I've never seen anything like this. And it just, I keep saying that, and it keeps getting more and more acute. And even in the last two weeks, I have probably had five 20-something age kids that have either needed to go to inpatient, acute inpatient, or an intensive outpatient. And I would say in that, that number, it might be bigger than five, might be more like eight, would be five years worth of those kind of referrals in the past, maybe even because we try not to even do that. You know, I'm a big proponent of keeping um, young adults and kids out of a system until we just can't do that anymore. So that tells you um, how acute it is. And, And I think Virgil, and you tell me what you think on this, but I'm really seeing it in that 20 something and the, the teenage years, mostly um i'm not i don't want to negate that you know 30 and up or even 15 and down aren't in acute phase too but i think what we've seen i think we don't even know what we're seeing yet you know i Mm -hmm. think there's probably a combination of of what covid does to the 
to the brain that we don't know yet, but also what we um, are seeing as the ramifications of, of a generation of kids and young adults that have been extremely isolated um, from just social in- engagement, interaction, and they're tanking. Mm-hmm. Big time. I think one of the things that we're going to f- be faced to reconcile with, probably sooner than what I'm getting ready to say, but definitely within the next eight years, is that I get the fact that COVID came on so fast and so furious that we literally had no idea what we were doing at the very beginning. Right. That's right. And I, I think that maybe we did the right things by like, before we know what we're doing, let's make sure we don't know how serious this is. Right. So let's like, let's shut things down for a little bit. Let's get a, let's get a feel for it. Where it came from is not really up to the argument right now. Why it came out is also not up for the argument right now. Right now, we're just dealing with the fact it's here, mm-hmm. and it had an impact. So we have the isolation piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also have the masking piece. So now you've taken away the ability to read lips, especially, and to be able to gain facial expression. So we've, we're already in an era in which people have the most infrequent person-to-person communication there's ever been. We're more connected and more disconnected simultaneously than we've ever been right Right. now. And so you factor in the the isolation and the masking, and then you factor in the fear Mm -hmm. of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then now, now we're heading into the next problem is the fear of misinformation. Like, we're now in a place... No matter how old you are, you don't know who to believe anymore. No, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> and, 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 and and it's even reasonable to say, I'm going in and out of all of that. 100%. You know, it's it's like, yeah, you're right. And that masking thing is really interesting. Um, it hit me recently. There's a restaurant that we've gone to that we only started going to. for. It was for takeout. And the owner of it, I never met her before the mask. And literally, I did not recognize her on the street the other day when she had her mask off. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the way that our brain assimilates faces, it was she, I had made up a face that was totally different Mm -hmm. than what she looked at. So it's, it is a quandary. The, the fear and, um, you know, I'm right there. I'm not preaching to anybody. I've had the fear. I've had the isolation. You know, and and we we also have gotten to a point that the bind, and I don't know how you feel about this, but the bind is I want to be doing more socially, but I don't really want to. You know, I get right my toe right up to the line of going back to say church, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, I I'm not really sure I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I know I'm not alone. I know people are going back to church at 35 percent of pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or things like that. Yeah, so. I think that. I'm a little bit more risk averse. I'm not really overly concerned because I've lived my life for the last 30 years. If it's my turn to go, there ain't nothing I can do to stop it. Right. Uh, so I'm like, I'm just going to live. And if I if it gets me, well, that's how it was supposed to go. There ain't nothing I could do differently about it mm-hmm. because whether I was supposed to go this way, that way, or this way, you're going to. When go. my date got picked, I'm out. <laughs> right. Um, right. So I don't really go about it in that re- regard. So I've been to some concerts and I've been to. Titans football games mm-hmm. and Predator hockey games with literally no fear whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I'm not stupid enough to believe that at the very beginning, without having any idea what we were facing, I was a little concerned. Yeah, it was very scary I'm early like, on. Wow, like, well, this is yeah. weird to yeah. be this, like, wow, messed up over something. But as, a, as we've gotten further along, and like, I'm, I'm a big believer in... I'm not going to have somebody tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Mm-hmm. I'm going to investigate the information and make my own damn decision off of it. And, and it, it has evolved because at least I keep on educating myself. Well, and, and, <clears throat> and that's the question of, I mean, you, you have that curiosity that we all need to develop. And I'm, it's a soapbox I'm on right now about being curious. Um, we all need, as adults, to take responsibility for curiosity and not land on a platform that just because we, we like to hear that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. Um, thinking for ourselves is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, and what, what's happening here, I, I feel like the, it's maybe 12 and up 
to 25 to I would 27? Go with that. I would go with that. I think 12 to 27, because those 27-year-olds, they've had a rough go. 100%. Because the economic downturn of 07. Yes, it's hit them twice. Radically affected them mm-hmm. getting in college, getting a job out of college, making money, paying off college debt. They got wrecked. And then they finally start making their way, and wham, COVID hits. Well, and I said that back in, I think it was 2010. It might have been right around 08, too. But I said we had to adjust the um, normal range of what anxiety is because of the economic downturn and all that. And that is way out the window for me. The, The normal range of anxiety now is something I would not have ever guessed. But you're right. On, on this 20, 26, 7-year-olds, I even saw it re- as recently as the Super Bowl party. Our daughter had a party at our house for her friends. She thought 15 kids would be there. 30 kids were there. And they didn't, none of them even watched the game. They were so excited. And I would say even a, a desperation feeling of, I've got to connect with other humans, and this is so fun to have friends again and mm-hmm. be in somebody's home again. Um, we've got to make up for lost time on that for these kids. 100%. And we have to figure out a way to cultivate it with as little rules as possible. Because literally, they, they're almost five-year-olds learning how to interact. Because they haven't been interacting other than with their thumbs. That's right. And many of them now, in another soapbox here, is many of them are ending up in their basements or their mama's basements playing games. And, and the justification there is that they can play games with their peers. But but what I'm seeing is exactly what you're saying, is that there is no um, motivation slash ambition slash... Um, whatever, get up and go to make those human connections because they're getting too much dopamine hit mm-hmm. from the gaming yeah. or from from weed or whatever. And we're seeing it as, epi- I mean, just this week, we're at an epidemic of um, the number of, uh, of overdoses we had just in the state of Tennessee is just unconscionable compared to what we would have thought five years ago. Yeah. So when we... When we don't have good interpersonal relationship skills, we don't have good coping skills versus struggle. We don't have good coping skills when we're, when we're in a bad mood. We don't know how to communicate appropriately. When we're on the receiving end of somebody's bad day, yeah. we don't know how to handle that. So we, all we think we know how to do is the good stuff. You know, if everything's going good, it's easy to see how somebody's That's doing. That's so true. That's so true. It's like a, just for my job, right? So college golf coaches, when they come to watch a high school golfer go play in a tournament, they actually don't want them to play good. If they're there to watch them, they know they can shoot low enough scores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would like to see them struggle so they can see how they handle adversity. Right. Because in a team scenario, they don't want any team cancers. If that guy plays good or that girl plays good, of course they're going to be happy. Of course they're going to be right. chest out, head up, excited. Right. But what happens if they choke yeah. coming down the stretch? Do they uh, gratefully go up and congratulate the person who won? Right. Uh, thank the volunteers that came out. Thank mom and dad for bringing them and bringing the Gatorades and the sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Or do they get pouty, poopy pants, throw clubs, kick the bag? Become two-year-olds. Yeah. But they, yeah. Because I can't have that on my team. Right. How, right. Do you, how you treat your mom yeah. and dad is how you're going to treat me because I'm going to be your parent for the next five years. Right. I want to see something bad. And they know that because as soon as they show up, the kids are like, oh, God, I got to play good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately makes them play bad. Right. And they get exactly what they wanted in the first place. Like, right. And they're like, right. I can't believe you decided to give me a scholarship after I played so terribly. Because that's why I gave you. You're right. Because of how you handled the adversity. So two things I, I heard you saying that you're looking for in that is a kid's ability or a young adult's ability to self-soothe and self-regulate. And those are neurological terms that we're looking at now, brain-based terms that say when you're triggered. And and I I think it's safe to say, and 
push back on this if you don't agree, but I think it's safe to say the environment we've been in for the last two years, we are in, you know, a collective traumatizing time. So if we could look at these kids' brains as being traumatized brains, that they're going to be um, more reactive, less resilient, needing more help to integrate good and bad, opposing emotions, those kind of things. But self-soothing, and, it, it, you know, if you're a parent, um, and another thing to say is, as as you're saying, we've got we've got to surround these kids and help them. They do. People can't quit parenting right now. We got to double down, and even into that twenty-five, twenty-six year old, they need us as parents as much or more than they needed at two and three. It's yeah. a different. It is more consulting instead of coaching or policing, yeah. but they need it. And and to be able to. How does a kid learn to self-regulate and learn to self-soothe is because his caretaker and his support system do that with him and for him through the the formative years. And, and I think we've got a gap on that, too, where nobody's knowing how to do that or have forgotten, yeah. I think. 100%. And I think that... <sighs> Now it's my turn. I can get on soapboxes on this kind of stuff that just drives me absolutely bananas. But I think we're, we entered into an era 15 to 20 years ago where we just got out of the, maybe the greatest generation of parents that had to go through real struggle, like world war mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. depression and very difficult times. The United States hasn't really faced any difficult times in quite some time, mm-hmm. give or take what appeared to be a month worth of 9-11 struggle, which is really just a day's worth of struggle. Mm-hmm. And most of the, everything else is a, a financial struggle, but your life wasn't on the line. If your life was on the line, it's because you took it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. We haven't had real struggle in America in a very long time. So what does that mean? We have to create struggle. Mm-hmm. We have to invent problems. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the problems that we're creating right now, it just looks like a bunch of four-year-olds in a playpen. We're inventing problems because we don't have real problems. There's never been less starvation. There's still people starving, but there's never been less. There's never been more fresh water to drink, more available water to drink, more communication, more information than ever before than we do right now. It has never been easier to thrive, but it has never been easier to succeed because not many people are thriving because they're not forced to persevere and face adversity and come out the other side when it's actually real adversity. Well, and somewhere in there is a level of expectation um, that we need to grow up and have too, an an expectation for our children, for ourselves, for, you know, quality of life, all of those things that we could throw in, but an expectation that you're not going to act a fool. You're going to do the right thing. You know, all of those things, I think you're right. We've quit, we've quit teaching and expecting. And, and then you've got this other side that is all performance-based. Like, you have, to be, you have to be perfect at everything you do so that I look good. And so it's a bind for the kids. Yeah. You know, we're going to give them, well, anyway... We can give them everything, but expect nothing. But then also, if you fail me, it's my image that I'm worried about as opposed to your value of being yeah. who you are as a human. It almost feels like there was a parenting shift, probably because there was a moment in time where kids wished that their parents would have backed off at a certain point. And they said, when I get to be a parent, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was a big pullback in I don't know, maybe discipline, maybe not discipline, but discipline in the terms structure. of structure. I think structure. Structure. Structure is yes. a better, yes. better word. There's less structure, but more expectations. I agree with that. It's a bind. It's a huge bind for a kid. Yeah. So, like, how am I supposed to get to this imaginary place that you've considered my end destination, mm-hmm. but you don't provide me any of the structure to get there. It's just like, here, go get it. And and in that, um, <clears throat> also, it negates attachment. And I would say with structure, we need attachment with the kid, that we know the kid as well or better than the, they know themselves. We're, we're monitoring ourselves and our own regulation, self-regulation, self-soothing, so that the kids are safe enough to explore what they need to explore within boundaries. I mean, 
it's it's um, astounding to me that it is normal now for high school kids to smoke weed. It, I mean, what's happened that that is a oh well yeah he smokes weed that that's craziness from a brain based standpoint if nothing else because what you're doing is you're saying go medicate go numb go do whatever you can to survive this anxiety or whatever you have and we're we're putting it into a developing brain and that's wreaking havoc on our kids so i think the structure attachment i'd rather them go smoke weed than me having to soothe their soothe the kid for myself or figure out what's going on that kind of stuff is yeah. what you're talking about 100 percent. yeah so it's a very unique time mm-hmm. and like to me what it is that your company does tennessee neurofeedback and all that you do and all the, the counselors that you have those skills are not taught in school so people are paying extra for those things right but yet as i've been saying this it just drives me insane we're not educating our kids for 2050 we're not educating for them to be successful in the future mm-hmm. we're educating them to be successful 50 70 years ago mm-hmm. so like why are we not more intentional on teaching our kids self self-worth self-soothing the ability to recognize when something's not right how to get appropriate help. What does appropriate help look like? How to empathize, how to be curious. I mean, basic things that, that yeah, we are missing the mark on that. But I'll tell you, corporate America is moving faster that way than, than our education system. 100%. I mean, I'm seeing, I just heard of a situation where Emory is, is going gangbusters on um, – mindfulness training to to help corporations incorporate that and and i don't know yet of a school in this town or anywhere else that is teaching mindfulness and i could be wrong i mean if it is it's it's um it's not like something that people can sign up for it's like oh you're struggling we have somebody over here that does Mm -hmm. this or we'll do 10 minutes of this in a health class or something yeah and so like which leads me to the the next phase of this is like i believe that universities and colleges are in big trouble because corporations are are acting faster Mm -hmm. than the education system and people are which i would have already kind of guessed this you're better off going to work at a company for two or three years figuring out like where you fit in within that business model and then go get further educated very specifically Mm -hmm. for the task and then come back and crush it versus being thrown into this five-year grinder where you only end up using between 17 and 22% of your college education in your actual job. And then you basically spent 80% of your tuition on something you don't use, which makes literally no sense. The only pushback I would have on that is there's so many key developmental milestones that a kid gets late high school through college that are are the emotional, the EQ, as we would say. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate the real world? And it's a, a, somewhat of a soft landing if they can, you know, fail at that and, and move through it. But, but I'm even seeing high schools that are going and are okay with these kids going 100% virtual, ongoing. They have zero peer interactions. They're working full days and 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 yeah maybe maybe long run uh career wise that'll be pay off for them but they don't even know how to make a friend yeah so i don't know yeah that homeschool piece is very intriguing because there's a lot of well everything's an opportunity cost 100 percent. every decision you make has as a consequence to it positively and negatively but when i watch the the kids who are homeschooled they're almost always special at something that they're that they want to be able to focus more of their attention on that than the eight hours in school plus that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and because i teach golf i have plenty of homeschoolers and but they all started in in school they all know how to make friends but at age 13 14 15 they got to be so good at golf that they wanted to have more time for it and all so far knock on wood all of them are playing great golf mm-hmm. and they're all going to look to be set up to get at the scholarship that they set aside for. 
and I don't seem to be that socially awkward. But I don't know, like, what's going to happen to them at age 30? Like, this is, it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. time, it's an experiment. And if you don't see, you know, even just that they come here and they've got a goal and they're doing golf, I mean, they're not isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not sitting in a basement gaming. Yeah. And and I think that is that is a... a and that's a real thing. It's just so hard. Like, I don't, I don't see that. But I know that it's a real thing. But like when we start thinking about people that are addicted to the dopamine hit, and that is now becoming, it might be the number one addiction in the world. It very well could be. What are some of the things that we should be paying attention to? One, that we know we're <laughs> OD'd on dopamine. And two, what are the things that we need to do to extract ourselves mm-hmm. from that addiction? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple of, of things to really pay attention to. It's very, very um, common when you have a, a kid that is gaming, that um, it's it's a short step away to porn, and and when you've got when you've got the electronic, you know the the um, the electronic stimulation, sexual stimulation, all that hits the same pleasure center of the brain. So you really have to be careful for that because what happens is. With gaming, with porn, with any of that stuff. And and that's another thing. People think that kids doing porn is, is normal range. It is not. If you take nothing away from today, it is not normal range behavior to do that. It's not okay for the brain to be inundated with those kind of images. It's traumatic for mm-hmm. the brain. But anyway, all that to say... What happens is your dopamine receptors begin to only accept pleasure from those particular activities so that what you see is a kid that, you know, spending hours on games, you're going to ask him, do you want to go play golf? And he's going to say no. Or do you want to go meet friend, meet, meet up with friends? He's going to say no. And why that is, is because he his brain is telling him you're not going to get the same level of pre- pleasure from that, if at all. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is we have to do a reset and, and you can test it. You know, I've seen, I've seen 16 year old boys decompensate into, you know, puddling messes in my office when I said, we're going to go 90 days without looking at games. You know, that's an addictive response right there that, that you're pulling away the crack from them. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one thing you can test it. But but we have to regulate that. It's like the structure we we're talking about earlier. You know, if you haven't hung out with your friends, if you haven't exercised, if you haven't gotten your homework done, if you haven't done all these things, then gaming's off the table, right? And the max gaming you're going to do at this particular time is whatever X is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most parents when I would suggest that, would shut down that completely. Oh, I can't do that. And then there's a, there's a whole nother dynamic that you're, you're going into then, and who's, who's running the family. That's right. And a, and a family system that's upside down like that is never going to be optimal. 100%. And like that's the, that's the thing that I'm most concerned about, is that the, the kids are struggling, and they are, have to turn to their parents for the the helping hand and that's a job that they didn't feel like they signed up for right the parent yeah the like they yeah. they signed up for the the joy of having a baby right and being applauded and but it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy job no and and, and people don't really that's a hard job to, it's already and they when they realize that it's hard and they they can they know that they're pushing off mm-hmm. some responsibility on that iPad or that gaming or whatever right. it is that they're right. they're doing to pass the time. They know it, but they they can't cope with the workload of being the full time parent that they're signed up for, so to speak. Now, when they're struggling, the parent has to almost double down on something they don't have. They have to. So so, and then that's kind of family system one hundred and one that we say if we can get the the parent system. In that family, behaving in a way that is regulated, um, non-toxic, which is a big ask right now Whew, to just right. not even have toxicity in your relationship. If we can get the parenting system working, many times the kids' system takes care of itself. Yeah, you know, right. um, and and I would much rather identify 
the grown ass adult is the issue as opposed to saying, you know, we're going to slap little Mary on a stimulant because she can't focus in school. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. 100%. When, when, with the neurofeedback and the brain mapping and the information that, that you gain off of it, help people understand. Let's just say we have a child who's either excessively addicted to dopamine radically depressed from being bullied Mm -hmm. overly anxious due to the fear of what is about to come which also could come from bullying but like anxiety and depression depression something that's you're dealing with that happened in the past you can't get out of and anxiety is from what might happen in the future Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what is it that the brain map shows there and then how is neurofeedback able to regulate it so that it's easy to see yeah, yeah. on paper the results. Right. Because it's easy. I think it's from what what I gathered from people watching me go through the process was I was just me. I was just being me, doing me things. And maybe six weeks into it, people were coming up to me like, hey, man, I'm, you look way better. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What, what, what's so different? I don't, Everything, your body language, how you look in your face, um, just the way you enunciate words, like mm-hmm. you're just more vibrant, you're alive, like what, mm-hmm. what have you been mm-hmm. doing? And then mm-hmm. I, I'm like, well, I've, I've been I, going to Tennessee Neurofeedback, I've been doing it sometimes three times a week, because I learned that I was in really bad shape. Mm-hmm. And and that brain map for you was really helpful. I was there, so Ooh, yeah. I, I remember... I'll never forget that. I though. remember seeing it, and, and so... and. If you're listening, it's it's not uncommon if you've never heard of it before to have to hear it three or four times because it's kind of new language, new things. But the the brain map is an EEG of the brain. So we're measuring the brain just like you go to a hospital when you've had a head injury and have an EEG or EKG of your heart. It's electrical energy that we're measuring. And so we measure your brain, put it through a database. Our clinical director reads it staffs it, compares it to things she's seen in the past, plus a database that tells us this behavior of the electrical waves of your brain would suggest that you have an anxious brain or a concussed brain or a depressed brain or you have a trauma response or your brain is browned out, which we see a lot of the time where the power has just dropped out just like a battery in a flashlight. So with that, we're able to see, and it's so helpful, especially with parents of kids, because they're like, oh, this, be-, and we can, we can add behaviors to that. Okay, you have this level of, of anxiety. I bet you're ruminating a lot, thinking about bad things over and over again, hoping for a different outcome. You know, so we're able to attach behaviors to it. And when the parent sees that, or even adults like you did, it's like, wow, this isn't a character issue. I'm really, I really have something physiological going on that can be explained and there's so much hope in that um it's scary obviously because you're like okay what are we really going to find and it's not really like that because we we only are comparing no one has a normal brain so we're just looking to see okay what seems to deviate from what norm is Mm -hmm. and so with that we have a training protocol that we put in place and and you come in sit in a um Comfortable chair, dark room, you either watch Netflix or you close your eyes and do, if you're a meditator, it's a great way to meditate at the same time. And, and we're, we're not doing, any, we're not inputting anything. So think of more like physical therapy as opposed to shock therapy. We're, we're on the, we're training. Um, it's an education at a non-conscious level for the brain. And we know what normal range is. So when your brain begins to behave in the direction we want it to go, you're going to get a feedback tone or the the TV's going to flicker, the Netflix that you're watching is going to flicker, and it's going to come, your brain is going to go, and your brain wants to heal itself. And it's going to say, oh, that feels more regulated. I'm going to repeat that behavior. Same as, you know, giving a dog a cookie he's yeah. going to do that shake, handshake again to get the cookie and your brain at a non-conscious level starts to do that we grow new neurons slough off the old ones we'll remap you in 20 sessions to say okay we're headed in the right direction your brain has changed 
this level of percentage, what are you seeing? Mm -hmm. And probably for you, 20 20 sessions in, you're like, not only are my friends seeing it, I'm seeing it. Yeah, I'm starting to not be triggered by things that used to throw me for a loop, or I'm able to sleep better. Sleep is, you know, we're in an insomnia, you know, craze right now, and sleep is one of the first things that comes back online for neurofeedback. So, anyway, so that's that's kind of the process. So. I think I think if you can look at it as it is a way to regulate the brain that is non-invasive and non-pharmacological so that we're able to get results it's not a magic bullet like taking a pill mm-hmm. but over time we're going to get get the brain regulated you know medicine um medicine will mask symptoms where where neurofeedback corrects the the causes of those symptoms if that makes sense oh yeah and i think that from for anybody out there who's never done it and i have and i've sent many people Mm -hmm. to you because i don't i don't think many people are looking for non-pharmacological answers for sure and they don't like they're beginning to not trust that avenue anymore and then they're also not willing to trust certain doctors because they always feel like they're being pushed in that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for something different. So when I came in to you, not even to be checked out, we were. I was. I have a brain technology that I use for performance, and you were just trying to see like what I did with mine That's versus right. what it is that you were doing with yours. Right. So I, so that, I've told this story before. I think it's so funny. I literally show up to this the second <laughs> meeting. I'm going to meet Dr. Steffens and you and somebody else. And I'm thinking, I must have crushed it so <laughs> amazingly. <laughs> this is going to be so great. She's going to say, I'm like, the ultimate uh, How did you do this? I'm, I'm sitting there like, going, I cannot wait to see how good I did. <laughs> and I literally was humbled beyond belief. I, I was out in, It's a very mm. clear moment in my life mm-hmm. where I'm sitting there like, oh, Got my, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting ready to deliver my excellence. And you look straight at me and says, Virgil, is is everything okay in your life? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Is this confidential? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course it is. And then I just dump. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well... Okay, now okay, now we're now we feel a little bit better because your brain map, you got there's something really wrong here. We have to like we have to address this right now. And I'm like, what? And I will never forget this as long as I live. You said, Virgil, do you ever feel like you're driving and you've been driving this road for years and there are moments where you're driving like and you're like, Where am I? And I'm like, Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, like six days ago, I was driving with my youngest son in Belmead, coming from Whole Foods. I'm at less than two miles from my house, and I'm driving, and I literally have no idea where I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa!" And Cameron's like, "Daddy, where are we? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, I'm just driving." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then like, and I'm like, "Well, how would you know that?" And I'm like, "Well." This part of the brain, well, I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my God. Well, I've been nailed. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. some. No place to hide. No place that. to hide. Mm-hmm. How do I, like, what do I do? Because I'm now, I'm, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. I have been found out that things that are going on in my life are unbelievably not good. Mm-hmm. And nobody needs to know why, but I need help. Right. And so many people are in that same boat. They don't want to discuss openly about how difficult something is. They just well, shame keeps us. Shame keeps us believing that we're alone and that no one else has those kind of issues. And and especially, and this is probably a good bit of your audience, um, Virgil, is peak performers um, many times have the brain map that you had. And, and the shame level is really high because if I'm able to be a peak performer, why am I having these, re, you know, relational issues or parenting issues or whatever? I mean, anybody's out there, addiction issues, whatever anybody mm-hmm. could be having. And, and what we see is it's not an intellect issue. It's not necessarily a motivation issue. You got that down pat. It's, it's the 
toll that all of that takes and and to have a browned out brain that is saying i can't take it anymore i i need you to go offline which is another word for dissociation and you find yourself two miles down the road and never knew where you were because you don't have the brain power to sustain that level of stress forever and your brain has to shut itself down and that's what we're seeing we're seeing kids you know when i talk about the five kids that that we've we've hospitalized or or gone to inpatient we're talking doctors and lawyers 20 something kids i mean we're not talking kids that have never been educated and have you know no ambition or anything these are high high functioning kids that their brains have now said i can't take it anymore and 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 we don't want to go past that we got to get the help and intervention there because you go past that and and you your brain begins to say you're better off totally shutting down, which could be depression, suicide ideation, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're finding a lot of these kids is that they are so stuck and so powerless, meaning brain powerless, that they don't even they're not even able to look for options. Mm-hmm. I would say this that story just reminded me of something I wanted to talk about which is the level of hopelessness mm-hmm. that is occurring right now in that 12 to 27 yeah. group. And I would say the older in that group that you're talking about, the probably the more severe it is because they keep on working really hard to work out of the hole that they got put in in 2008, and it just keeps getting worse and right. worse. That's one of the things I'm reading about is the hopelessness of I keep doing what I was told to do, and everything that I do keeps on producing massive negative results. Right. And they don't, whether that's true or not, is completely irrelevant to that's their perception of the truth. Well, and I think it is probably true because, you know, that generation also is in, is coming into a place where they're doing jobs or thinking that this job was going to be the greatest thing. And they're, you know, they're, they're hitting their first thing of no expiration date. You know, when you graduate from high school, you know the date. You know when you're going to get out of college. You know when you're going to get out of that grad school. And now we're hitting a place that we've got to find contentment in life that that is a, is a little bit of a grind sometimes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you couple that with an Adderall addiction or, you know, smoking weed every night or gaming every night, those kind of things the the contentment that you can find in a in a regular rhythm of life is is not findable so that's where we get that hopelessness mm-hmm. that what can i do next you know one kid okay can i go snow ski in japan will i begin to feel better if i do that as opposed to the rockies maybe i can feel better and you get back from japan and that dopamine crash you get puts you in a worse place than even when you went if that makes sense mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, that's another thing that's most people don't take into consideration, which is when you when like in the studies that I've seen on high performance flow states and what have you, Stephen Kotler said that we went on to this deep dive to understand what it took to be an elite performer, and what we really learned was that if we didn't teach people how to come down, that's it, that we were going to kill them because the the crash from flow state is harrowingly difficult Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well look at some of the documentaries that are out there you know i mean i don't want to name names but you see them at 50 years old and they've pickled their livers because they're trying to numb that crash yeah you know that's right or yeah and and that's why I i was talking to someone today that's highly successful in his field in the music world and we have to talk about contentment being 80 percent you know we can't live on flow we can't live at 100%. We're not going to have a number one hit every two weeks. Yeah. And so we've got to learn that. And, and really, it comes back to connection and attachment in those interpersonal relationships. I mean, I'm going to feel really good when I leave here because you and I have gotten to see each other. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to have a meaningful conversation. And that's going to get me. You know, that's going to be good for me. Yeah. As opposed to whatever mm-hmm. a bottle of wine and that's epidemic in my generation our generation especially with women and i don't know how many women listen to this podcast yeah. but we've got epidemic of numbing and alcohol where the kids are gaming and smoking weed the older generations have ter- we've turned into a generation of alcoholics yeah chardonnay champions yeah 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 the, the, <laughs> the amount 
like I was listening to because I like some of my podcasts are with people in the wine industry because I have a deep affinity for wine, and they're just like they're saying that the the Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc sales since COVID yeah. is off the chart. Yes, and like what I would consider not to be sad, but things that women generally gravitate towards vodka. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, the white wines, mm-hmm. the vodka, and the tequilas. Mm-hmm. They're not, most of them aren't bourbon drinkers. That's a guy problem. Not that the girls don't struggle with it, but that's guys always go to the brown. Right, girls right. are always going go to the, uh, go to the white, right? He said, Virg, you can't, like, I'm almost alarmed mm-hmm. at how much Chardonnay we're selling since COVID hit. Oh, yeah. It's, and vodka. Yeah. Oh, I wow. mean, two glasses of wine a night was the norm for a lot of people, most people, through the weekend, weekday with parenting, that's not, that's too much, yeah. you know, but um, now it's a bottle, you know. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, everybody is looking for ways to numb, and we, we've got to go back to the basics of kindness, empathy, curiosity, things that draw us to other people as opposed to isolation and it's interesting is like i almost feel like there's going to have to be somebody of note to make that an important piece to draw the masses because in my opinion probably the last certainly the last two presidents but maybe the last four presidents have not necessarily made it, and that's not their job, but they did more to divide than they did to bring together. And that could probably go all the way back into the 90s before we found somebody that unified mm-hmm. the country, mm-hmm. so to speak. So we don't, like, there's a, there's a big, so we don't, like, we're, we couldn't be any further split apart than we are today. And I, I don't really see, because it's so radicalized in the 10% on each side of the pole that I don't see how somebody's going to be able to come in in the middle and bring everybody together again. Yeah, that's the scary part where I get into this fear cycle of to where does this thing end, you know? And mm-hmm. and obviously we're so hopeful that Omicron can be the end of the pandemic, but, you know, the carnage that's left with the polarization, with the isolation, all those things, we've got to... We've got to prioritize as a society, as parents, as whatever, teachers, educators, coaches, yeah. that that polarization, hyper-opinionation, all of this stuff is bad, toxic energy for us. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Yeah. I mean, surely we can see that yeah. at this point. We just need somebody at the right time. It's kind of funny. God always has a way of doing it at the right time. Mm-hmm. Where something's going to be going down that's really not good, and somebody's going to shine and do something, I don't know what it is, that's going to give everybody hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we're all going to be trying to search down that route. Now, it could come from art. It could come from a movie. It's less likely to come from music, but the Beatles did it, so it's not that it's not possible. But I don't know if there's another Beatles out there. Mm-hmm. But whether it's through art... Or through actual true challenge that is seen in front of everybody, that somebody has the ability to rise up and bring people together in the middle somehow, mm-hmm. that we can change the course of action. Right now, separation has been like an ongoing thing because it sells, it sells dollars, sells advertising dollars. To the TV screen that we've been watching. But pretty soon, people are stopping to watch TV. Yeah, no, I can't stand it anymore. Uh, what what made me, um, when you said that, it made me think of the studies that were done, um, 9-11 versus Katrina, for the uh, amount of PTSD that came out of those two big events. Mm-hmm. And there was so much less PTSD from 9-11 than there was from... Really? From Katrina, and and the reason is people after the hurricane hit, people spread. They moved everywhere out of New Orleans, and so there was no common, you know, support. Oh, with nine wow. eleven, 
people rallied around each other and everybody came together. And so the brain was able to recover. And, and that's not to say there wasn't tremendous PTSD from 9-11 or minimization mm. of, of how horrific it was. But long term, what we see is that that those brains were much more resilient because they weren't spread out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like I always, like to me, the, one of the most profound days of my life so far was September 12th. Yes. The unification of this country that had never, it hadn't happened since what my dad felt like was, it, 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 you know, Vietnam spun out really badly, but for a short window of time, we were fed the, the information that we needed to support something. Mm-hmm. And when we hadn't been attacked since Pearl Harbor, and this is a very unconventional attack at that, it brought the country together. And for like 35 or 40 days, we were the country that we were supposed to be. And it didn't take long for us to forget. Yeah. And we went back to who we are. Yeah, but it was an incredible, that was an incredible feeling. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think it does start in the family system, the parenting system. Um, and if you're a single parent, you know, there's, it's always better to be one healthy parent than two unhealthy parents. For sure. Or if you're, you know, so I don't want single parents to think that they're, you know, they're an outlier because they're not. They can, they can exact change and comfort and safety and growth in their kids just like a dual parent um, family system, but we have to be about that. Yeah. You know, if we're going to double down on anything, let's double down on making sure our kids are getting the skills and attention and kindness and love that they need, and that'll grow out. Mm-hmm. For sure. And and therein lies, like, these are deep cultural issues right there. I mean, we live in a very nice part of the bubble, so to speak, but there are way disadvantageous situations going on all over the world, world country, and in Nashville itself. So, like, um, I got wor- I got first world problems in a, in a really good zip code problem. Right. Right? And I, I'm very aware of that. But at the end of the day, that's still the problems that I have to deal with. And the, you learn how to conquer the problems you have to deal with, it prepares you for the next level. That's right. So, that's I just right. really, at the end of the day, when I'm sitting here doing this podcast, for me, it's one, how can I make myself better? with the guests that I have to I have a responsibility for my listeners to make them at least be able to walk away with one thing mm-hmm. that they didn't have before they started listening and to make it feel like everybody's learning yeah. the listeners learning my guest is learning and I'm learning because that creates a little triad a little yep. because now it creates a, a, a situation where curiosity the people that are listening are curious about what is neurofeedback? What is Tennessee neurofeedback? What is it that's going on with Virgil that I didn't know about? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. What can I do to help? And what is going on in my life that's relatable to this story that I'm listening to? And how can I pay closer attention to the people around me or myself? All of these things are things that I try to <clears throat> cultivate through my podcast that... Um, are the secondary goals of just me doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the podcast itself was just an opportunity for me to do something with my time other than teach golf mm-hmm. and get you know bring in interesting people. And it's turned into something way bigger mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. that, that I wasn't prepared for. Now, I'm not Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan is speaking very similarly. First, I just, I mean, I'm Virgil. I'm doing this thing or I'm just interviewing interesting people and I'm interested in learning about. And next thing you know, I got 12 million people listening to me every day. Mm-hmm. That's overwhelming because mm-hmm. I didn't, do, I'm not here to be famous. Mm-hmm. I'm actually here for self curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, certainly not famous by any stretch of the imagination. But like I can see, like he's doing it because I've modeled the, my on the verge off of Rogan's style, mm-hmm. which is I just want to get to know somebody, dig in mm-hmm. to a really meaty topic, and have a conversation like we're sitting on a sofa so that everybody feels like they're just a part of something mm-hmm. and try to be as ed- educated about the topic that I'm going to talk about so that I don't sound like I'm either doing an advertisement for somebody or I'm asking stupid questions. Well, I, I, to me, I just think it's so in- interesting that that what Joe Rogan is doing right now 
is what Walter Cronkite was and what Dan Rather was and Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw were, mm-hmm. which was they were, they didn't make a decision for you. They brought things to the table for you to think about so that you can make a decision for yourself. What we see today is a narrative. There's one side or the other side. A motivation. Yeah. An ulterior. um, And it's it's quite narcissistic that I'm going to manipulate somebody to to get them to think the way I think without any level of education. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 100%. It's it's manipulative. Um, Truly. And and because there's never been more of a society that's easily duped into just believing instead of informing themselves. Like, well, I'm just going to do what this... This, this guy what, says. This this guy says. Or he he likes my my political alignment, so I'm just going to believe everything he, he says. says. That's stupid. Yeah. On either side. <laughs> on either. One hundred percent. Yeah. On either side of the scale, it's yeah, radically it, stupid. It, yeah. It's it is it's yeah. That's right. So of all the things that I wanted to to pass on to my listeners, which is let's think for ourselves. Be curious. Mm-hmm. Investigate things that matter to you and make proper decisions based on your own information gathering, not somebody else's information gathering, because they're not dealing with the exact same scenario. And don't be afraid to ask for help. There you go. There you go. Because I think of all the things that I've learned is that people come to me asking for help all the time. But I was afraid for a long time to ask for help because I didn't want to sound like I was weak. Mm Mm-hmm. Where it, and really the research would say it it takes a lot more courage to ask for help than to stay in a shame cycle, right? 100%. So you're really stronger mm-hmm. for it, and and that exercises those muscles to be able to do that and to empathize with other people. If you keep that shame cycle going, you're just going to give off that you're better than somebody else that's hurting, right? Because they think you're not touchable. That's right, and that's that's something that it was important for me to experience which was how I learned how to ask for help wasn't while I was asking for help. Mm -hmm. And you showed me like, oh my goodness. I've been feeling like something was off for quite some time, but I kept sweeping it under the rug. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was just going to outwork it or out love Mm -hmm. it or out care for Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But it was way out of my ballpark. Yeah, or outthink it. Or outthink it. Just pick myself up by the bootstraps. But if you think about it, the brain is an organ. That's bad science, right? You're not going to just think your heart out of high cholesterol. That's right. So if you can, if you can let the shame down enough to reach out, and and I would say. Virgil, you know, I I have a passion for getting people out of pain as much as I can, mm-hmm. and we don't want to miss that. We we may not be the 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 final stop for somebody needing help. M- many times we're not, yeah. but we do have the network of people in in the Middle Tennessee area and and really nationally that we can say we like this particular group for this or whatever, and we are happy to do that to anybody that wants to reach out to us well that's super important for everybody out there listening is that if you know of somebody that's struggling in any way shape or form this is a non-invasive non-pharmacological we can get some tangible information to you that you can actually touch Mm -hmm. that says it's obvious that you'll be struggling the way you say that you're struggling because your brain is telling us this yeah here's how we can help yeah and literally i can tell you through my own personal experience that it works. And I've been fortunate to send so many people that were struggling to you, and they are all in the same boat as me. I have no idea why this is going to work. Are you sure I should do this? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Are you sure this is going to work? Yeah. This seems and like it, voodoo. <laughs> and then they come out on the other side, and they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Across the board, that's 100%. Of all the people that's that awesome. I've sent there, they come back, and they'll tell me, Thank you for doing that for me. It was scary. I actually didn't believe it was going to work. Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold, it totally changed my life. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Well, that's a, that that's why we keep doing what we're doing is, is those kind of outcomes. And um, we appreciate the, uh, the forum that you've given through your... Your vocation, your platform, all that to to advocate for us, it means a whole lot. 
Well, it's been my pleasure because you've done so much for myself and my family. It's unbelievable. How, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, whether it's for the neurofeedback, the counseling? What, how can people best, best find um, you? Best way is to uh, go to the, our website, TNNFB, Tennessee Neurofeedback, TNNFB.com. Um, and, and if you know you need a specific call from me, just put that in the in the request on the on the thing yeah perfect well kk it's obviously so great to catch up with you thanks for taking the third amount of time to share but this is this is such an important thing for people to hear we're in a in a difficult moment in our society and they need to know resources that are out there other than drugs and alcohol yeah that's right and other negative things there's positive things out there so thank you for all the positive that you bring and i'm looking forward to uh see where this goes going forward. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.